Hey, everybody. Welcome to Performance Anxiety, proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark, and we welcome SoCal punk legend and legitimate scientist Alfie Agnew to the podcast. Alfie spent his youth with his brothers Rick and Frank defining the SoCal punk sound. We talk about that and what it takes to create a new musical landscape. He was a vet by the time he was a junior in high school. But one book changed the entire trajectory of his life. And after decades in academia, writing pieces like A Trace Formula for a Family of Jacoby Matrices, Analysis and Its Applications, he began making music again. And as seems to be the case with Alfie, one night set in motion the fate of his new band, Professor and the Madman, which includes Sean Elliott and Paul Gray and Rat Scabies of The Damned. And they've just released their fourth studio album, and it is diverse. Check it out wherever you find music or on their website, ProfessorandTheMadman.com. Follow them on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX. Subscribe, rate, review, and support us at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. There's no commitment, and you can just pick us up a cup of coffee if you like. There's merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. And thanks to AKG for the amazing headphones and the Lyra mic. And now let us enter a world of Alfie Agnew, legitimate professor and musician. Here on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hey, this is Alfie Agnew from Professor and the Madman. I'm here on Performance Anxiety. Come check out our album, Seance, professorandthemadman.com, or Amazon, or Apple, or wherever you like to. Give us a chance and check us out. I think you'll dig it. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> awesome. So let me just pull up my notes here, because I've got a lot of them. I, was, I, I don't think I took this many notes in school, so... <laughs> That's great. So... Your history, your story is just, it kind of blew me away. And I'd like to start from the beginning. I want to find out about how you got into music in the first place, because I did, I did read how musical your family is. Yeah. Did that come from your parents? Did they foster music in the family? Because um, I know your brothers are also musicians. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it. It's, it is a bit strange. Uh, my parents were not into music. I mean, not, I mean, they were, you know, mild consumers of music, uh, but, but they weren't like musicians themselves. Okay. Uh, my grandfather, my mom's side actually was a professional drummer. Um, he, he's actually from Mexico and, uh, he played in a, in a, a Latin jazz band called the Latin airs. Uh, well, oh, wow. Latin is is the yes. name but but and they played in all the tj jazz clubs like back in the 30s and things like 20s and 30s and oh. things like that wow yeah so so there is a real in fact he's my namesake uh, or i'm his namesake and uh, <laughs> that's that's a musical connection but in my parents generation there was nobody so it really started with rick as the eldest sibling who was just really into music um and was very naturally gifted and then when each of the sibling well each of the male siblings came along anyway he just sort of like incorporated us into his little family band you know so he he, he sort of provided someone for him to play with and we were kind of into it as well so okay yeah, usually, you know, like the whole family's musical where the mom and the dad and, you know, the kids follow suit. Right. Here, just something that started really with my oldest brother, Rick. Wow, wow. And so, but by the time you came along, so it, it was kind of assumed you'd be part of the band then. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> Rick was really interested in keyboards back 
you know, back in the day, uh, he was into bands like Yes and Rick Wakeman and, and stuff like that. And Emerson from Emerson Lake and Palmer. And so he was into keyboards and and uh, guitar a little bit. And then Frank came along and, and he he put a bass in his hands. And then I came along. He shoved drumsticks in my hand. So <laughs> we finally had the trio when I was born. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. The Agnew Power Trio. Yep. <laughs> so you started off playing drums then. Yeah, that was my first instrument, and I was really into it, you know, uh, for for a while. Um, I played for about five years, and uh, then, you know, so so we grew up in working class environment, um, and uh, you know, so so putting together a drum set when you're in your digits, you know, was a slow process. You know, a birthday would get me a, a ride symbol here, maybe Christmas a crash symbol, you know, <laughs> maybe an extra So I'd put together a bit of a, a drum set slowly you know actually it was it's, it's kind of funny like i remember my first ride symbol was this old thing we got for free that you know had like a bite out of it you know it was broken and you know it's kind of broken up and we we put a a pool cue in like a paint can and poured cement in it and that was the like the symbol stand <laughs> it, man it that's, was brilliant that's and awesome. it was yeah, yeah. And slowly but surely we got like, you know, sort of real basic equipment. Um, but then when I, I was kind of my tweener years, you know, punk rock had had kind of hit Orange County in Southern California. And Rick was right at, you know, the center of it. And I borrowed my drum set one time and it never quite came back. <laughs> I, I think it got the Keith Moon treatment. Oh, man. Oh, that's so the... I became a guitar player because it was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> You couldn't wait another few years to get another pool cue and cement that can. <laughs> so when did, so at what age was this where you really started playing with Rick and, and playing in bands? So that was probably like on, on a more serious level, probably my early teenage years. Uh, wow. So certainly like when we played together in DI back in the uh, kind of early mid eighties, you know, I was probably 14 years old when, when that started. Okay. Yeah. And I put together some decent equipment and and uh, started, you know, my chops were getting quite good by then. And so I, I could actually play with those guys and hold my own at the very least. I did play in some projects with him actually younger than that. OK. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a an early band that no one's ever heard of called Territory uh, that I played in. That, that was actually in, as drums. I, I did some. A uh, couple of kind of stand in drumming for for a band, a real old OC band called Naughty Women at, at, at a, a rehearsal or two, as well as uh, a, a band called The Omelets. I played a couple of <laughs> times with. Yeah, yeah. Robert Omelet, who's an Orange County legend, if you if you look him up. Um, and, uh, you know, so I did do some stuff, but, you know, I was still quite young. I, I couldn't, you know, it was hard enough to get me into the clubs when I was 14, never mind eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine this. No, no, he's he's good. He's cool. Right. Really? <laughs> he's got a packet of crayons with him. Exactly. Man. All right, so you started, you really actually started on a more professional route in high school. Yeah. Right before oh. I was going into high school. Absolutely right. And yeah. See, so, and you were playing with, uh, if I read correctly, the adolescents. Yep. So, all right. Yep. So, I, I do have a question. What am I? I don't know a whole hell of a lot of punk. Sure. So, what am I doing if I'm actually doing the Freddy?
good good question yeah um so (laughs) (laughs) i don't know yeah okay so there was a very early oc punk band called eddie and the subtitles and eddie joseph was eddie from eddie and the subtitles and he he was a little bit older than than even my brother's generation my older brother's generation rick's actually 10 years older than me okay so i I, again i'm a very little kid mascot hanging out with all these people and and was older than even rick's generation and you know there was early bands like the middle class and eddie and the subtitles and um so the lyrics to do the freddy it actually was really called do the eddie so it's kind of about uh, it's teasing eddie joseph a little bit and uh, so the hunch your shoulders, bulge your eyes are kind of teasing his his looks a little bit. Okay. Jump, and don't ask why. <laughs> he was a, a maniac. So so yeah, that's the that's do the Eddie actually. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, the adolescents, almost twenty one, di, they're all yeah. pretty strictly punk bands. You you're, you're dealing that's basically right. within punk parameters. Absolutely right. Okay, but yep. you had a you had a lot more influences than just punk music. Absolutely. You know, so it's kind of interesting. And this is something that I can't believe I didn't think about earlier on, but I only really thought about it really from for interviews from Professor on the Madman and talking to other uh, musicians as well. You know, like the the scene that's hip and in that you're a part of and that you help create. You know, that's, you know, for most people, that's typically in the teenage years and maybe the 20s. Yeah. you know, that's when you're making the music and creating the new stuff. Um, but of course, that's not what you grew up listening to because your scene hasn't been invented yet. Good point. So it's kind of like a time thing because I remember, you know, getting to know Paul Gray and, and Rascabies and talking to those guys. And, uh, you know, I kind of always thought, you know, when I think of them, I thought punk, the damned, you know, et cetera. And, you know, but talking to them about bands they grew up listening to, I mean, I mean, for Rat, it even goes back to, you know, sing, sing, sing and big band jazz. Oh, wow. You know, not that he was, you know, going to gigs in the 1920s. <laughs> <laughs> like what some of his earliest drum influences were from big band. And you can actually see that on one of his recent solo albums where he covers that sing, sing, sing song. Okay. You know, and Paul was mentioning bands like Slade from the early 70s, the Monkees, you know, oh, and, wow. and it's like, oh, yeah, of course. When those guys were just getting into music when they were young, when they were kids, there was no punk. Yeah. You know. So it's always kind of the previous generation that becomes the early influences. Then you become teenagers and rebel against it and everything else. Yeah. Then you kind of come back full circle once you've mellowed it. So for me, I grew up listening to a lot of 60s stuff because, you know, not, I mean, I wasn't, I was born in 69, so I wasn't alive for most of it. Um, but you know, I had such strong influences in my older brothers that their influences were really my influences. So, so sixties, you know, British invasion and stuff was major. And then seventies Prague and, and glam was really big in pre-punk uh, influences. Oh, David yeah. Bowie, you know, uh, Pink Floyd, T-Rex, T-Rex. Absolutely. Um, you know, those kind of bands and, and some of the hard rock stuff like early deep purple, the Mark II deep purple and Zeppelin and, yeah. and all that yeah. great stuff. Uh, Sabbath. And we, we had tons of music, Hendrix, you know, we just ate it all up. Well, and at one point you decided to stop playing music. You, I guess like most people, you were, you were trying to balance the two and most people in band at that time. Was it a, a love of, of, academia or just you got tired of music or was it anything like that 
you know, all of the above in some sense. Okay. Um, I never tired of music, like in terms of listening to music, playing music, writing music. I, I, I sort of write music compulsively, always have. You know, music is is like kind of like my religion or my spiritual. That's, you know, when I've had a rough day, I come home and pick up the guitar or sit at the piano, you know, that, okay. and, and it makes everything all better. So it's not something I could really walk away from completely. But music as a career or as a business pursuit, um, you know, uh, so I, I was doing the DI thing in the, in the mid 80s. I was in DI and adolescence by the late 80s. Um, and I had in late in high school, I was never interested in school during my teenage years, most of my teenage years, it was only near the high school, uh, that I read a book by Albert Einstein, actually one, one of the books he wrote, uh, trying to explain relativity to, to just regular folks like at the time. And I thought, Oh, that sounds like a challenge. So I spent the summer before my junior year or actually the summer, uh, before my senior year, trying to read that. And I understood maybe 20% of it. I mean, I I had ignored school so much throughout high school that I didn't have any background, but I thought that it was so psychedelic and bizarre, the ideas that I, it got me really intrigued and it got me in the habit of reading about physics. Ah. And it also made me decide to take school a little bit more seriously. Whereas early on, you know, it was everything my dad can do to keep me from dropping out. Now I was like, well, hang on. How do I get into these math and physics classes that I'm not qualified for? Wow. <laughs> and That's so quite I, a change. I, it, it's a huge change. And I just fell in love with it. And, and you know, I tend to do that, though. I, I go headlong into things <laughs> or not at all. And uh, so, you know, I made up kind of high school within about a year, went to community college and, uh, you know, decided I was going to go into physics. But I was still doing music at the time. And so I was kind of treading both. Okay. And, you know, DI and adolescents were doing really well by that point, well established. We were touring and it got to be almost a bit comical. You know, I mean, we'd be doing a tour on the West coast or something and, and they'd put me on a train at three in the morning to try to make it back for my 8am exam, Wow. you know, Fullerton and, and it just got to be impossible. I was starting to miss some exams and, you know, uh, it, it just became clear that I had to pick one fork fork of the road, pick one way or the other. And, um, you know, I had accumulated, accumulated enough experience about the music business to know that that's probably not, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with pursuing music as a career, but if you're looking like I was to kind of, you know, hit it big at the rock band or punk band or whatever, you know, and, and tour, make records and make a living that way. I mean, you really have to hit it quite big. You know, it's, it's not like most other careers. Well, you know, if you're, if you kind of hit average, you know, you'll have a fine life and a fine standard of living, you know, in, in music, like if you're not top 1%, forget it, you know, you're not, it's going to be a tough, tough life. And and I didn't see myself as kind of just backing up people for my whole life or something like that. Uh, so I, you know, I, I kind of just said, well, I think I'm going to do physics and mathematics instead, you know, wow. and, uh, and I just went for it. <laughs> you, you don't hear that. Very, let's see. I'm going to, do I want to choose physics and math or punk rock? Yeah. So here's, okay. exactly. so here's a paragraph you don't hear too often on this podcast or probably not any. You yeah. settled on physics and mathematics as a career and put your musical activities on hold to attend college immediately after high school, graduated yeah. from Cal State Fullerton, completed a PhD in mathematical physics at Oregon State, 
mm-hmm. and did postdoctoral work at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Afterwards, he became a full professor in math at Cal State Fullerton and also a faculty member in the Gravitational Wave Physics and Astronomy Center. As part of your research activities, you have published a number of technical papers in the field of analysis, differential geometry, general relative theory and cosmology, and the history of mathematics. So this is this is what's insane to me. I, I started reading some of these publications, some of these, these papers and, and books i'm some of these works you've published i'm going to put it that way and the titles separable separable orthogonally transitive albilian g2 cosmologies perfect (laughs) fluid inhomogeneous g2 cosmologies space-time algebras and twister theory Progress in Analysis, Proceedings on the Third International Conference on Analysis, Its Applications, and Computation, The Twister Structure of Biquaternionic Projective Point Advances in Applied Clifford Algebras. Let's see. um, And most recently, Identifying Correlations Between LIGO's Astronomical Range and Auxiliary Sensors Using Lasso Regression. Very good. <laughs> That's but uh, but my favorite is on the zeros of complex Van Vleck polynomials because that could be a great album name. That's true. That, <laughs> I like. <laughs> <laughs> it, I'm surprised it's not like a Greta. It's not Greta Van Vleck. Exactly. <laughs> Man, that would have been amazing. So so, if you're looking back on it right now, is is math your first love or is music your first love or are they basically kind of equal? You know I. I couldn't live without either. Um, so in some, in, in that sense, they're equal. You know, I, I'd, yeah, if someone said, you know what, you have to give up one or the other from now on, it, it would, I, it would break me. I, I couldn't do it. Um, this, this is what gets me up in the morning. Um, especially once I got seriously back into music, you know, like writing and recording and playing, you know, live. I, I mean, once I got back into that, uh, around 2012, I, I couldn't stop. I, you know, my career was, was, so it had enough momentum and I jumped all the typical hurdles to where I could afford to do this in the evenings. I didn't have to work day and night anymore. Right. Uh, I could work during the day and do music at night kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, m- music was my first love, no doubt about it. Um, I've always had a thing for math, reading science. I was always good in school and things like that. I, you know, could teach myself a lot of things. Um, so I think that's a natural part of who I am. Uh, but it was music first. That was my first love. And during this time when you, put music aside to pursue academics. Were you still playing music for yourself? Did you, or did, did you just put it away completely? You know, um, I would say I wound it down to about 10% of what I was usually doing. Okay. Um, so there might be a few months where I wouldn't play, uh, you know, an instrument where usually I would play kind of every day, uh, you know, uh, like now uh, and before, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, Working on the science required so much focus, uh, you, you know, that it it wasn't too hard to stay away from the instruments because I was so round the clock absorbed into the other stuff I was doing. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of a lot of hoops you have to jump through, uh, a lot of exams you have yeah. to pass. You know, you have to you have to write papers and create things that no one else has created before, which is not easy. You know, passing classes is one thing. Yeah something out of nothing is, is, is different. I mean, I, I work in theoretical areas and so it isn't like I can just sort of run an experiment and report the results, whatever they are. Right. 
in theory, if you if you sort of working on something and it doesn't work out, it's not worth publishing. You know, it's, it's as good as doing nothing. So it's wow. a little a little dicier and and you know so so there's a lot of pressure and a lot of time involved. Um, and so yeah, that kept me pretty busy. Uh, but I would say there was most certainly something missing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're there. when you're trying to write semi classical density states for the quantum asymmetrical top, which I don't even know if that's the complete title for that piece you can't <laughs> yeah. be working on your riffs that's right so yeah so that's that makes right. that makes complete sense so what got you back into playing music i mean i understand you know you had now you had gotten reached the level professionally where you could do it but what was it that really made you want to actually record and be in a band again you know, it, it was just one of those things, you know, and you just got to always thank the gods for making sure you have friends because I, I, ha I had moved back to uh, Southern California to take the job at Cal State Fullerton, my alma mater in 2001. And I, you know, this after being out of state for seven years and, and I flew under the radar for about 10 years. Like even my, you know, really good old friends didn't realize I was back in town. I just, wow. I just wow. sort of dropped off the planet when I, when I took off to graduate school. And, uh, but Facebook, you know, was around. And so, uh, my older brother, Rick, who, who was into social media very early, he's always into things early. He's, he's always a step ahead of everyone. And, uh, he's all, you know, sent me an email and said, Hey, Alfie, you know, I, I want to show you some pictures, you know, uh, I'm going to post them on Facebook. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. I don't really do that. You know, I, yeah. I, I, want to be contacted, you know, and he's like, Oh, come on, you know, just stop, you stop being weird. And, and so, uh, he sent me a link and, you know, of course I didn't have an account, so I had to make an account and I wasn't sure what that meant, but I'm like, all right, he's, he's going to hound me until I do it. So, right. so I made an account and, and checked out the pictures. Yeah, that was, that was cool, Rick and all. And then all of a sudden I started getting friend requests, which I didn't know about. I didn't, you know, uh, so this was all new to me back then. And, and I'm like, Oh, well, well, I don't want to be a jerk, you know, so I'll, ex you know, of course I'll accept. And, yeah. and, and so my, my old mates from DI, uh, John Bosco Calavro and John Knight, uh, Bosco in particular, he's, he's very social media sa savvy as well. And, and he sort of picked up on, on me being on Facebook and, and, uh, him and John Knight were work. They were in a band in the nineties called crash kills Four, okay. um, kind of a pop punk band or, you know, that nineties style punk, yeah. um, and um, they played a lot of the old songs that I wrote from Almost Twenty One oh, as wow. part, as far as as well as as some of their own good, really good stuff actually. And uh, so he got a hold of me and said, "Hey, me and John Knight are in the studio, uh, Penn, Pennywise own studio, uh, friend of theirs, um, engineer uh, there." And he's all, "Why don't you come down and lay some tracks?" And I'm like. Oh man, you know, I don't know. It's been a long time. Oh, nonsense. Just bring your guitar and I'm all, okay, fine. That sounds cool. I need, don't I need be weird. Exactly. Don't be weird. <laughs> you know? And so I went down there and, uh, you know, for a couple days recorded some songs and, and it, you know, I was pretty rusty to be honest, but it went really well. And I was just like, you know, it was magical again. And I'm like, oh my God, this is great. And they're all, you want to do the whole album? And I'm all, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we did the whole album together and released it. It's called uh, A Raincoat and Shoes and Pornographic Blues, uh, which is a song, a song I wrote back in Almost 21. But that, that turned out to be very good for a title. And the album cover painting is actually based on that. So it's, got, it's very, you know, imagery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
And, and, and then, of course, the natural next progression is, well, hey, how about doing a couple shows? Yeah, all right, cool. Then the cat was out of the bag. People knew I was alive and around. And, <laughs> and uh, another old mate from DI named Sean Elliott, who, who uh, I, I, you know, we intersected only a little bit in, in DI, but he and I had a very intense relationship. We really hit it off well musically. He, he's, he's really, really talented. Yeah. And he's also someone who's not boxed in very easily. He had a lot of the same influences I had. Okay. You know, he, he was very eager to do new and different things, as I always was. Um, that's another reason why it wasn't so hard to put down music you know, back when I first went to college is because I was really in, in a lot of side bands trying to sort of expand and, and, and draw upon different influences and right. rather than just doing the hardcore punk over and over and over and over, yeah. and over which I still love to this day and listen to, but, but it, I just, you know, it's, you can get really narrow when you're a teenager and that's awesome, you know, but then at some point you start, you know, wanting to see the rest of the world and, right. and not many people were willing to do that except for Sean, you know? And so I had always thought Sean and I should do something, you know, but, uh, but it was sort of when, you know, when, when that started to happen, I hit that fork on the road and took off. Right. So Sean, when Sean reached out, when I was in crash kills Four, uh, he reached out to have me play actually based on, uh, for a project he was doing a show he was doing. And, uh, you know, we did that and it was like, you know, we, we need to make good on that project. We never did when some originals let, let's, just me and you. So there's nobody we have to argue with or nobody that says, well, what if they don't like it? What if it's not fast enough? What yeah. if it's musical? You know, um, we were just like we said, no rules, whatever we want to do, we'll do it. And if people hate it, that's totally cool. Let them hate it. That's fine. Uh, but let's please ourselves, yeah. you know, certainly, you know, work for people like Bowie and Lennon and McCartney, you know, when they started doing their own stuff, yeah, uh, you, sure. know, you know, maybe they know something, <laughs> you know, maybe they're wise. <laughs> and so that's how we got Professor and the Madman together. And, and then by then, you know, I was just fully back into it. So it was just the two of you to start with. Yeah. Yep. Okay. We kind of had the concept. We started writing the tunes. And then shortly after that, rap became involved through a, a, another just funny quirk yeah well no, how, how did so how did rat get rat so rats is originally from the damned yes so how did he get involved so so i remember i mentioned uh that uh, sean needed me to play bass for for this sort of side band he was doing um it's actually a band called the Crichtons, which goes back to his early days like junior high school high school days okay it was mainly like kind of a, a an eighties and punk cover band, you know, before they got into DI and serious bands and, th and things like that. And uh, so they were doing some kind of like reunion shows just locally for friends and stuff. And uh, they needed someone to step in. And that's why he called me now at one of these Crichton shows. It was actually a Christmas party. I love to hear rat tell it. Cause it, he, he just, you know, <laughs> has such a saucy sense of humor. Uh, you know, it was like an, one of these ugly sweater Christmas party things. Um, uh, <laughs> held you know, have a private party at this bar that a friend of ours owns and and uh, rat happened to be there he was there with a mutual friend you know because he he was at the time playing with bands like the mutants who were based out here in like joshua tree that that kind of area okay and uh, so he went there and of course we we covered a couple dan songs because you know sean and i have always been massive dam fans and, right. and typically do like smash it up for an encore or something and we knew rat was there because you know and, and so we're like 
brat, you know, and, and Sean, <laughs> I'm more shy. Sean, you know, he, he, he would ask the Pope to do something crazy. He has no problem with that. You know, so, so he's like, rat, we're going to do smash it up. How about you come up and play it with us? And rat, you know, being the gamer, he's all, he, you know, he's like, yeah, all right, let's do it. You know, <laughs> came up, it went off great. Uh, we had a good time. And uh, the next day again, Sean, you know, be, being the, the, the gutsy guy he is, called that mutual friend and said, Hey, Al and I are, are doing some recording. I have a studio at my house up, up at Alfie's studio. Uh, you know, rap, you want to come up and, and lay some tracks down if you're not doing anything today. And he said, yeah, sure. Whatever. Wow. So we came up and played and it was the song devil's bargain off our first record. And, um, which has kind of a phantasmagoria feel to it a little bit. Good evening, sir. So we figured it's right up his alley and, and he really enjoyed it. Um, a lot of the times when he gets asked to, to play on things, it'll be more punk because that's what he's known for. Yeah. Uh, but you know, again, like I mean, he's a musician and so he would like to do other things too. So I think he was very pleased that, that we were asking him to do something that almost had a vaudeville feel to it. Uh, and he's, and he's like, well, what else do you got? And like, we're all, Oh, be careful <laughs> what you ask because we got a lot. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Yeah, he joined us just in time to make the first album. So he's on the whole first album and he's been on all of our albums because he, you know, he had, he enjoyed it. He liked the music, thank goodness. And he just continued to play with us and record the records. How did you guys come up with the name Professor and the Madman? I know there's a book of the same title. Was there any input for the book? You know, not quite. Um, it, the book, we knew about the book. There was no doubt about it. In fact, I knew about the the book for sure. Okay. And it was a couple of things, you know, we, we thought it was funny, you know, to have a real life professor and, you know, and the other guy is, so Sean's actually, you know, very successful as well in real estate, okay. um, you know, but historically he was quite the crazy man. <laughs> <laughs> always a crazy ride when you were, you know, partying with him in the old days uh, or on tour, you know, holy cow. And, uh, you know, so he had, you know, the professor and the madman thing kind of matched, you know, even though we knew it from the book, it's like, well, Hey, it probably applies to us just as well. Uh, and we were also playing around with, with sort of dichotomy things with, with like opposites like Jekyll and Hyde, you know, uh, binary opposites, they call it in philosophy, you know, like things which are really opposites and complementary. you know, so, so the two of those things together, the appropriateness of the name professor and the madman and the fact that it was capturing something that both of, both of us are philosophically interested in, the good, okay. bad kind of thing, uh, it was just, it, we just felt it fit really well. I had to go and, and look it up, and that's, because I had, in doing research to talk with you, I've started trying to find some clips and some, and going back and listen to the the first three albums, and every time I would pull something up, it was a, the book or the, or the movie. I'm like, yeah. man, there's... There's got to be some connection, but kind of figured with you being ha- having the academic background, maybe, maybe that was more, maybe it's more coincidental, but 
But one of the things that I really enjoyed doing as, as I was going back was listening to the first couple of the first three albums because you guys have released uh, this. The new album is your fourth album in four years. Uh, yeah, yeah. We also released a live album as well. Wow! So f- technically, five albums since 2016. That's right. Wow! Yeah, man. Been, been <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No, was any of this music? Is it all new, or was was any of it stuff that you'd been working on in Crash Kills Four, or stuff that you had had uh, worked on while you were in academia and just kind of sort of way? You know, th- that's an excellent question. The, the majority of it is new meaning like since we got together in 2015 to do this project so mm-hmm. most of it is new especially on seance however some of it you know maybe 20 percent was from old old bands or stuff you know so for example the song machines from disintegrate me was actually a song i wrote for di in the 80s but oh, i had left or yeah we were working on a new album after horse bites dog cries and the, the the ep there's an ep that came out after it that uh with richard hung himself we, we added some other songs to it and released it we called it team goon i think and we were working on a full-length album after that and i had written a bunch of songs rick had written a bunch of songs but uh, you know we parted ways uh before that album ever happened and machines actually in nevermore the song nevermore machines and nevermore from that era so those oh, wow. are yeah that's real live mid-80s sort of goth hardcore punk (laughs) yeah that's awesome Okay, so that's another question I have for you. A lot of the um, the lyrics and, and the song titles have a, a goth feel to it or horror, maybe a horror vibe yeah. to it. Yeah. How did you get into that? You know, in my in my early and later teen, teen years, I, I was I was into bands like, um, you know, like Susie and the Banshees, Bauhaus, Sisters of Mercy, really loved the Mission UK even into the 90s. You know, and, and Rick was even into some kind of pre-goss stuff like like Virgin Prunes and like some of the real art rock kind of stuff, um, Residents and, you know, so so those some of the weird stuff. But obviously, you know, when Rick was in Christian Death and I absolutely loved that band, I, I remember going to shows when I was a little kid and just being blown away, you know, by by the music they were creating, because that was right, you know, during the punk when punk was becoming hardcore, actually. Yeah. And here's a guy dressed in a female wedding dress singing and Rick's, you know, has no distortion on his guitar. He's playing through a jazz chorus doing these weird spacey sounds on the guitar and it's not super fast, you know, he's energetic, but, but, you know, and it was, you know, they were all painted up like Alice Cooper almost. And, you know, so it was, you know, they had this goth thing going and I just thought it was brilliant. I, I, I took to it right away. Uh, so I was influenced by, by that kind of music very early on as well. Um, in fact, even like, like one of my all time favorite albums from OC punk scene is dance with me from TSOL. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that had a real goth feel. I mean, the, the cover is one of the class, classic goth covers, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the grim reaper and, <laughs> right, right, right. And, okay. Yeah. No, I remember that. I'm not super knowledgeable on punk, but I do remember that. I have, I have a lot of friends who are huge into punk and 
They'd yeah. have like t-shirts with the album cover on it. And it, nice. Yeah. yeah I remember, yeah, I remember TSOL being big. Yeah. Oh, big time, big time. And that dance with me album was classic. I mean, we, I won't say much about it, but there's a song called code blue was pretty famous. Right. Um, uh, for the story content yeah. <laughs> it, you know like like for example there's a song on it called silent scream which again something i loved about tsol right in the midst of, of hardcore you know they have this song silent scream which is kind of like a guitar ballad almost and the lyrics are pure poetry goth poetry i mean oh, it's wow. something you should really check out silent scream i will uh, uh, just fantastic. Um, so, so yeah, I, I dug all that. And our, I think the first Pat M album really, we, you know, we, we allowed the sort of goth to be part of that, you know? I, uh, yeah, I can, I can definitely hear that. I hear so many influences in the, the first album and the third and fourth. The second is, is a lot more punk. Yes, it is. Yeah. Almost grungy. It's like punk yeah. and grunge, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. And it, it, but it was, it was really cool. I mean, uh, gosh, I got to look up my notes here because there was a couple things I wanted to ask you about because you've, you've got, okay, the songs in Elixir 2, you've got yeah. a song like Cell that's got the, the classic punk snottiness to it. Absolutely. Which is so cool. But immediately <laughs> after that, you have End of the World, which is yes. like a classic rock guitar sound, like great yep. solo. I mean, it could be a, a, like a, like a firm or page plant era page or Joe Perry, yeah. David Gilmore type of solo in it. It's incredible. That's exactly right. Yep. I, it's such a, it's, it's such a wild transition from, from one to the other. And you've got songs that, that combine the two, like, um, yeah. Oh God, what the hell is this, this song? I'm trying to remember the name of this song. I've, I've like said, my notes are a little scattershot all the time. That's Hence so me good. not not exactly being the best student, but <laughs> you've, you've got oh oh here okay here it is dearest foe yeah that yeah. song it's got somehow you managed to put punk and classic rock in the same song two things yes. that were completely against each other back in the like the seventies <laughs> and the eighties and somehow you guys managed to put them both in the same song and make it work. Absolutely. That's something, I mean, we, we don't look to like to do it in a contrived way, but that's exactly the things that are happening. Like, like, uh, you know, one review of seance called it prog punk, you know, which, <laughs> which, you know, you would think there's no such a thing. That's right. an oxymoron, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's what happens when you get a couple of, of crazy songwriters that have immerse themselves in four decades worth of great music. You know, at, right. again, at right. some point you kind of grow up and, and 
you know, if you let yourself, you will naturally start blending those influences. It's, you know, it's just unfortunately, most people like to find themselves by a genre and, and refuse to go out of it, which is yeah. just tragic in my opinion. But hey, to each his own. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I used to, when I was in high school, I hated pop music. I was not into pop music. And I was, I graduated high school in 91. So uh-huh. at that time, you know, my guilty pleasure. The one thing that I would listen to that I couldn't let anybody know back at the time was Hall and Oates. Loved Hall right. and Oates. They're great. Yeah. <laughs> but if anybody in my school, you know, I, I grew up in New Jersey and, you know, anybody, I was a metalhead. So You'll anybody, for that. yeah, exactly. You, you're going to, you, you're going to get a swirly or something. But at this point, I, I've, opened i've been lucky enough to talk to to some amazing people like like yourself and i've been able to to listen with more open-mindedness and more open ears and i've really started enjoying things that i didn't as a kid so i agree with you a hundred percent that you really gotta let yourself be open to different things and not pigeonhole yourself that's right that's so, right. And we're, you know, I, I feel a little bit lucky that I, cause you know, again, my sort of defining genre when I was a teenager, the thing that I helped to, you know, that I helped to develop was punk. And I, you know, I, I had, I was had the good fortune of being involved in the very early punk scene, even though I was so young because of my older brothers right. in particular, Rick. And both my other older brothers are the real cool kind of older brothers that, you know, the little brother isn't an annoyance. It's like, hey, let's bring little Alfie. Ha, ha, ha. You know what I mean? And so I got to see all that stuff and be a part of it. And the early punk scene was really not def- well defined. It was just all the rejects and the misfits. You know what I mean? And not only in terms of the types of people, uh, but also the types of music. I mean, you know, even the look, you know, didn't really become, you know, kind of the, the, the standard look until more of the eighties in Southern California, um, earlier on, uh, you know, it was more just about an anything goes attitude. And, you know, naturally we enjoyed kind of the weird stuff in particular, like things that would like, Oh my gosh, that was bizarre. Did you check that out or never that or, you know, and that stuck with me throughout life, you know? And I think, behind a lot of the crazy things and unusual things that I've done, both good and bad, but, but certainly good, I think was inspired by that attitude. For example, you know, being basically one foot away from being a high school dropout to all of a sudden deciding to be, to, you know, to, to want to become a theoretical physicist, a mathematical physicist. I mean, anyone in their right mind, so to speak, would, would never think that possible or even sensible. Right. But fortunately, I believe in rules. I grew up with punk and freedom, you know, and so you, that allows you to dream. <laughs> wow. I never, I never thought of it like that. That's yeah. Yeah. Man. You just, that, that kind of blew you know, my so, mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. When I was in high school and I, w- I was one of the few punks, um, at, you know, early on, uh, by the time I graduated, there was a lot more punks, but I would, I would be going to school with bondage pants and a Duran Duran Rio shirt on. <laughs> you know? I would be getting crap from the long hairs for being punk in, in the jocks and all that. And then I'd be getting crap from the punks for my purple Rio shirt. You know? And it was just where I wanted to be, you know, the yeah. ultimate expression of, of screw you. This is who I am. That's <laughs> awesome. See, that was another thing. Duran Duran, another guilty pleasure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, love, I, I especially love the early stuff, but man. Fantastic. The influences in Professor and the Madman are, are so much more than just punk, but 
Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, the, obviously the rock and then there's yeah. Brit pop on, on songs like space walrus, which yep. is, is a great, uh, it's a great track, but it's a great title too. Sweet. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm also hearing like some, some musical theater influences and it sounds like time machine off the new album. Gotta throw my cell phone out. Gotta put the laptop down. Can I read another Absolutely right. Okay, that, I wanted to ask if that was if that was an influence on you, or, or if that was just just the way the song developed. I, I would say it's a bit of both. Okay. Uh, you know, both Sean and I have been influenced a lot by by kind of more operatic rock. I mean, you know, I, I grew up watching Tommy a bunch of times and listening to the record. Obviously, all the Beatles movies. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, oh, like Sean is a big uh, Phantom of the Paradise fan. You know, Paul Williams. Both Sean and I really loved the music to Jesus Christ Superstar, yeah. you know, and that was really cool, you know, because it was more rock, you know, and, and a lot of the music from the 60s and the 70s did get very soundtrack a lot of the pink floyd stuff um after barrett got like adam hart mother got very i mean sounds like a soundtrack yeah. you know and so we were definitely wide open to all of that um you know we hear this stuff in our heads as well so it's pretty natural to, to to be influenced by that i think with time machine that probably like a, a little bit more like the pop kind of musical theater you know and i love well, I, I absolutely love uh, My Fair Lady, the music from there, you know, and, and, and a lot of those Lerner and Lowe, Rodgers and Hammerstein. There's great music there. I'm a big fan of jazz as well. I think with with uh, Time Machine, there's a musical theater aspect to it because of just the whole imagery and the story. But I think it's it's Paul McCartney and Brian Wilson really coming out for that song. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Is there a theme behind the new album? Yeah. Yeah, there is. It's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's scripted, uh, but, but there's basically an overarching story for the album. Okay. Uh, and every song more or less kind of slots in to give this story. Um, you know, the, the main story setting is in the first song. Well, I guess technically the second song, uh, Seance. Yes. Title track. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the idea there, if you listen to the lyrics, um, is, you know, it's basically about a, a group of friends who kind of, you know, take a second and think and say, wow, you know, we've lost a lot of family and friends. It would be really cool to get together and just, you know, one last time say goodbye to them. So let's, let's sort of get everyone that's around together. Let's have a seance and, uh, you know, give our final goodbyes. Um, okay. And, you know, but then the seance sort of take in the seance, things take a bit of a left turn. <laughs> so this is where like your Stephen King influence comes in then. 
Absolutely right. <laughs> and, and so there's this long kind of journey that goes on. So our protagonists, you know, find themselves, for example, in hell. And that's the song Two Tickets to the Afterlife. Okay. And, you know, if, again, if you kind of dig into the vibe of the song together with the lyrics, you know, you'll kind of realize that that hell turns out to be basically be an infernal game show. Like, you know, the <laughs> let's make a deal. Come on down. We even say that in the lyrics. Right. <laughs> Devil is like the Bob Barker or, or whatever. Um, I can there's see a that. in there uh, a little easter egg i'm not sure if you caught it but uh um you know it says uh was it it's all about here's wink to tell you what it's all about and wink is that you know the voice on one i don't know if it's let's make a deal or price is right you know yes uh, wink will describe the prize you know oh, okay what is last name wink martindale Yes, that's exactly it. That's Wink Martindale. We're, yes. we're, we're shouting out in there, <laughs> and uh, you know, and 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 you know, you can kind of tell from the album. So he spins the wheel, hits basically like bankrupt on Wheel of Fortune or something, <laughs> and uh, they get sent to purgatory. And then the song Council of Purgatory comes in, and you know, so there's like those are pretty more tightly and a little bit more obvious with the story. Some of them like so long and you know, real me and stuff are, are not as tightly with the story, but it, okay. it hopefully sonically, it does feel like you're going on a long journey. It really is meant to listen from start to finish. It does. It's f absolutely. And, and actually those two, um, uh, two tickets to the afterlife and the council of purgatory, two of my favorites on the album. Sweet. And I, I love that the, the, they, they just kind of flow right with, with each other. It's just, uh, oh, yeah. they work so well together. I love it. Right on. And since the first album, right, you've had um, uh, Paul yeah. Gray joined the band. And yeah. so, so how did he get involved? And then I guess the next question, and then I should probably maybe let you answer one of these first. Is you guys do a lot of recording remotely through yeah. file sharing and all before it kind of became de rigueur because of the pandemic. So yep. how does that affect your playing and, and the song development? That, that's, that's also very, very good question. Very interesting one too. So Paul, um, so, so rat Sean and I had finished the first two albums, uh, the elixir one and two, the good evening, sir, and election. Yes. And uh, we were starting to work on the third one. And, you know, Sean and I, when we're daydreaming, gosh, you know, wouldn't it be fantastic to have, you know, the damn Black Album's rhythm section? That would just be so perfect, you know, that we, you know, idolize those guys all our lives, love their sound, love their chemistry. You know, we stumbled upon Rat. Then at some point, I think it was, again, probably Sean goes, you know what? we should just reach out to Paul and ask him, you know, what we're, <laughs> and so, so he did, he, he contacted him through Facebook and said, Hey, Paul, you know, what would you do with this? I'm paraphrasing now, but what would you do with this song? And he gave him nightmare. Okay. And, uh, you know, we didn't know if he would even 
reply or, you know, tell us to go saw it or whatever. Right. <laughs> and, but he actually sent back a recorded bass track to it. Wow. And, uh, you know, he said, Hey, you know, guys, this, this is a pretty cool song. Here's what I would do with it. And, you know, we, we put it up on, in our studio and went, Oh my God, you know, where was that the first time I released that song? And, uh, so we mixed it in and sent it back to him and said, man, this sounds pretty darn good. And he's all, yeah, yeah, it, it does. Um, and he wasn't doing a whole bunch at the time. He was like doing some stuff with, with captain, you know, his, you know, like captain's playing with the dam, but, but then they have the sideband, you know, the sensible gray cells, which is amazing. Okay. Um, but you know, they weren't active and touring like the damned, right. um, you know, so Paul wasn't very busy, uh, to our good fortune, which is amazing. The guy is like, you know, one of the best bass players yeah. <laughs> a lot. You know? uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, if you got some more, I'd be happy to take a look at him. And we're like, sure. And, and so it kind of just started like that. And, and I think the thing is we, we, we were kind of lucky because I think that both Rat and Paul really liked the music they were doing. If it, if it wouldn't, wasn't going to interest them, they weren't going to be bothered with it. Cause I'm sure they get a lot of people saying, Hey, play in my band, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? So, so they, they were very intrigued by the tunes. And so uh, Paul joined and recorded disintegrate me, the album disintegrate me. Um, and then, so that was our third album. Then we went over to London to play a show uh, at the what famed 100 club. And we recorded that and released that as a live album. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and then we ended up doing seance, of course, which brings us to the the present. Uh, but the file sharing thing, yeah, that was just a big experiment. Um, I'm not surprised it worked out so well, though, because again, Rat and Paul are they're you know they're really 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 good musicians. I mean, obviously they know how to play their instruments well, but but it goes a lot deeper than that. Um, there are people who can, who are technically good at their instrument, but they don't have a lot of musical sense, or maybe they don't have like the right, you know, you know, ability to channel emotion, you know, and those guys have all that. They're so well-rounded. Um, you know, even though rats a drummer, he knows a good melody from a bad melody. Right. You, you know, uh, Paul plays his bass like a lead guitarist, you know, uh, you know, he knows melody and harmony and they're, and they're professionals. So, so, you know, you don't need to kick them <laughs> to bring emotion and feel and vibe to a recording. You don't need to have amps blasting at them, you know? Right. Yeah. And so the file sharing thing worked out really well because they're able to conjure the same sort of emotion and musicality um, when they're recording by themselves, you know, as if we were in the room together. Okay. And Paul and Rat, unsurprisingly, play off each other really well, even though it's delayed in time through file sharing. Right. Um, it's, it's remarkable how it works. I don't think it would work with just any group of people. Um, Oh, I don't so. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I've, and like, kind of like we were talking about before, I've seen some people try to do things live streaming, for example. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> you see, you see these things posted on like a zoom call with these, these four guys playing a rush song yeah. and it's, you know, if they did it live, like that, there's just no way. Yeah, it, with the with lag and buffering, that it, it just yeah. so it's 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 kind of funny to see it, but it's it's interesting that they can make it work somehow. Yeah, know, with through talent and and probably file sharing, but yep. not everybody could do it. Yeah, that's right. So, that's right. All right, so I, I I've got a question. I'm not. I wasn't really sure how to how to 
phrases because I'm not sure. It, it's either a question you've been asked a million times or everybody's too embarrassed to ask you this. Uh, no problem, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do Does math ever influence your music or vice versa? Do you ever get an idea of something to write about in your academic career through something musical? You know, surprisingly, I haven't been answered that. If I if I've been answered that question, it's it's not very many times. Okay. Um, good for you. Yeah, I, this, <laughs> this is a genuinely original question. That's why I get paid the big bucks to podcast. <laughs> you know, um, at times I've thrown some concepts and terminology from math and physics into my songs. Um, not a whole lot with Professor and the Madman. Okay. Um, now, the technical process of, of recording music and mixing it and mastering it and all that kind of stuff, I use a lot of my understanding of math and physics to wrap my head around that because when, when it comes to music, I'm completely untrained. I've never took a lesson oh, wow. on my instruments. I've never took a lesson in terms of how to, to, to record and mix and master music. This is all stuff that I just sort of figured out by trial and error. Okay. But it's helped, but especially with mixing and stuff like that, like trying to understand equalization and compression and things like that. It like my understanding of something called Fourier analysis is extremely helpful. Okay. Yeah, because because wow. it's the concept of of signal processing, which is all music is. It makes that concept very easy and natural once you know that. Oh. Uh, yeah yeah so so yeah i don't like i don't have a song about black holes or anything like that <laughs> for example like i wrote the lyrics for nightmare which which is going into my love of of kind of you know edgar Allan poe literature mm -hmm. you know um that, that's all what that's about obviously yeah so so i haven't combined those too much i have indulged in thoughts like you know can I come up with the cool musical representation of pi, maybe by using the digits, you know, 3.1415 and, and maybe use those as either key signature changes or the number, you know, like I, I've thought about that just for fun, you know, yeah. if I'm waiting to find somewhere or something and bored, uh, <laughs> you know, but I've never really taken that like to heart in terms of like, I want to record and release something based on like really mixing those ideas up. But you know, there's never say never. <laughs> you just gave me planted a seed. <laughs> maybe, 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 you know, 20 years from now, maybe, maybe something will come of that. That's or maybe right. next album. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I, I also read that you are an avid reader. Yeah. And you can read in Russian and French. Yeah. Where do you find the time to do this stuff? How, I mean, you, yeah. Yeah. You know, time, time is such, so oppressive. Yeah. <laughs> time. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm probably a bit more sensitive to the lack of time than most people, as far as I know, is, you know, based on people I've interacted with. And I've been like that ever since I was a kid, uh, you know, very nervously concerned with, you know, the finiteness of time and how fast time and it, it tends to accelerate as you get older, as you probably are yeah. starting to learn. Yeah. I've got three teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I try to make the best use of my time, but I'm just a human being. So I get tired and, and uninspired and things like that. But I, I, I got interested in languages, uh, as 
you know, when I was in graduate school, especially, I mean, you know, I took French in high school and, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. And, you know, you have to pick a language. Uh, My mom was fluent in Spanish. Um, You know, that was the Mexican side of the family. And uh, when I got into graduate school, uh, you had in, in, in the sciences, uh, at least at that time, you had to test test out in a language. You had to basically be able to re- read the scientific literature in either French, German, or Russian. And oh, so I tested out in German, learned, taught myself some German and tested out in German. Uh, but I was also studying Russian because I just really thought it was a neat language. I liked the cool letters that, you know. Yeah, the Cyrillic alphabet and all this is yeah crazy. and it has a real uh, it, it's real pleasant to my ear too it 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 sounds like you know like like german is is famous for being a little harsh yeah french is is famous for being a little sloppy soft you know you know almost like the opposite of german right. russian kind of fits really nicely in between it's pleasant sounding but not too you know mushy i never <laughs> thought of that wow you know <laughs> another thing that i've never realized it's pretty nice. And I also uh, read tons and tons of Russian literature because I just there are some of their authors are fantastic. Yeah. Dostoevsky, Gogol, Solzhenitsyn, um, you know, Tolstoy, just just amazing writers uh, that 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 can get quite deep and philosophical. Oh, yeah. Uh, and at the same time, you know, just just they build these big worlds with, you know, huge numbers of characters. And, you know, I mean, War and Peace is, is famous for being super long and, yeah. and involved. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and their classical composers were really remarkable. You know, I absolutely love, you know, Tchaikovsky. I mean, yeah. just yeah. just some amazing stuff there. And, and when I get interested in a culture like that, I, I think, you know, gosh, you know, to really kind of try to to get yourself in there. I, I think understanding the language a little bit is helpful. So I started teaching myself Russian and reading some, and, and also in my research, I had, I've, I've read papers in French, Russian, and German because they weren't translated to English. Wow. And I'm oh, not, yeah. don't get me wrong. I can't sit here and start having a full on conversation <laughs> German with you, right? you know, but I, you know, I, I can slowly, but surely read and interpret stuff, you know, so, but, but verbal conversations, I wouldn't be quite so good at when people are talking, you know, fluent people are talking at their normal speed. Yeah. So I, I read, I, I'm good with reading. I just, I just recently read, uh, Alexandra Dumas, um, history of revenge, or I think they, in English, they call it count of Monte Cristo. I, yes. I just read French just was fantastic. Uh, wow. you know, cause I had, I hadn't, I've kind of haven't worked on my French in a long time. And so that was really fun. Uh, so, so yeah, awesome. I got into languages and I, I picked up Spanish, uh, from my mom and, uh, also just from growing up in Southern California, you know, there's a lot of it around. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Well, you, I know you guys can't do it now, but our professor and, and the madman, are you guys touring a lot pre pandemic and maybe hopefully post pandemic? Did you guys tour very yeah, much we, at all? At all? No, you know, we don't actually, we don't do much live stuff. Part of that is because I think Sean and I both prefer the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, we like doing live too. I know I, I do. I think Sean, it's kind of bittersweet live for him. <laughs> I think he likes to do it, but it's, it's, it's exhausting as well. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, but we both absolutely love the studio. If someone would pay us our salaries to, to work in the studio, you know, 80 hours a week, we would do it. And be, <laughs> um, but we do like, you know, if, if the, you know what it is, I think with Sean, uh, and I completely agree with him on this. Um, 
you know, the conditions for live shows matters, especially when you're 50 and not 15. Yeah. You know, playing at a little bar and you're trying to play sophisticated music on a shitty little sound system, you know, it, 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 and you know, if you're playing to an audience that doesn't get it, yeah, you know, or if they're expecting to see DI, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, true. I mean, and, and you know, I would love to play DI songs. It's, it's again, I love, I love the punk, I love the DI, I love those, but, but you know, I, I don't necessarily want to play DI songs during a Pat Am set, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, and you guys have yeah, careers. Yeah, it's so, so if, you know, playing a large show on a good sound system, you know, larger venues with the right ba- with the right band supporting you or or you're supporting the right bands, you know, like it, we should never play with DI in a show that too, too different. Right. You know, we should be playing. I would say the most punk of a band I, I think Pat M should be playing with is the damned, you know, because we're we're not our music's a little bit more emotional and intellectual. It's a little bit more sort of diverse. And so you, you don't want to annoy people with your music. You know? Exactly. Exactly. You want people to come to the show and, and, and appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to do Pat M live is sophisticated. You know, you, you need good sound or it's, or it's going to just get all the important ingredients are going to get missing. So, yeah. so we're pretty picky. Uh, we're pretty picky about the shows we do. Um, and so we, we, we've done some shows, we've done some live shows with a lot, with a U.S. lineup. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Prior to the pandemic. And then of course we did it with the full lineup. We, we did shows back in 2018 in the UK and then the pandemic hit. Um, yeah. but you know, everyone's getting itchy feet, you know, getting tired of being at home. So we're, you, you know, the damned is looking to go on tour with the original lineup. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, next summer. And, uh, so we could hopefully get going and do some of that as well, but it's, it depends whether rat's going to be available because of course rat is, it was in the original damn lineup. So he might be busy. Um, you know, but I think, you know, Paul, Sean and I certainly are are eager to, to get out and play again next summer. If, if, uh, if COVID will let us. (laughs) Well, I'm in the DC area, man. If if they come, if damned or, Pat M comes by. I'm, I got to be there because I right love, on. I love the music. I've, I've you got a new fan in me because it's just awesome. I love the just the diverse amount of influence you get you guys put into the music and and the fact that you can combine multiple into one into a single song is. I got. I really want to see you guys do that live. <laughs> that would be awesome, man. We we would love to play for you, and and you know, uh, it's 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 so gratifying when people kind of get it. You know what I mean? When they listen to it and get it. I mean, you know, the way you're explaining a lot of these things. I mean, I I, I wouldn't explain it any better. I mean, you really are getting it, and oh, I and I, you know, when I was, yeah, you bet. And and you know, I mean, still when I listen to other bands, I mean, I listen to other music as well. But certainly when I was growing up and and acquiring all my musical influences, um, you know, I mean, that's kind of what excited me about the music. You know, I was listening to Ziggy Stardust album, and brain was getting blown away. Brain Salad Surgery by ELP, Sgt. Pepper's, you know, Pet Sounds, you know, and. Uh, you, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say I studied it exactly like a scientist, but, but I, I did kind of study. I listened to it over and over and I thought about it and I let my imagination run and I, I listened for new things every time I heard it. And, and, you know, the, the bands that I really liked were the ones that rewarded me for that. Right. Sonic, you know? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Well, where can people find the album? How can they pick up the new album? Seance. 
we have a website, professorandthemadman.com, that, that we're selling uh, through there. We also have a Bandcamp page. Um, it was a, either bandcamp.professorandthemadman.com or vice versa, professorandthemadman.bandcamp.com. Right. But if you go to bandcamp.com and just search for Professor and the Madman, you'll find us. Uh, I think the main thing, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about on the name of the band, the one downside to the name of the band is because of the Mel Gibson movie, it's hard to get, it's hard to find us on the internet because you're going to get a hundred hits on the Mel Gibson movie before you get our band. And so what I suggest to people is, you know, don't just search Professor and the Madman, search for Professor and the Madman band. Right. And that will help a little bit, not perfectly, but uh, uh, we have a Facebook page, you know, and and we are on social media, Twitter, all that good stuff. So certainly people can can contact us there. Um, You know, also Apple Music or I guess Apple Music, iTunes, same thing or something. Uh, Yeah, they're they're changing. I think they're dropping iTunes at some point. Yeah, they're going just Apple Music now, maybe. Yeah, I think yeah. so, because the, they're doing the same thing with podcasts. It's Apple Podcasts now, so it's just, I don't know. I don't know why they got to change things so so often. Yeah, so Amazon, often, you know, once every, what, 20 years, I guess that's not too bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we sell our stuff on Amazon as well. I think the CDs and the digital downloads are already for sale on Amazon, and the vinyl is showing up, in, in, like, probably within a couple weeks. We got some real cool purple and yellow vinyl. Oh, Cool. Yeah, that's awesome for all the vinyl yeah, hounds. Something else I got to tell you, actually, we've again just just in, in true crazy professor of the madman form. We 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 have another product that we release with Seance just to, to be crazy, and okay. we have a board game. A board game. We made and released a board game. You know, oh, uh, wow. so there's wow. Seance board game, and uh, we, we even made a commercial for it, like which is a total like play on like the 60s or 70s commercials like you know like you might have seen for like the the twister you know game or something oh yeah that milton bradley like music and you know yeah that's <laughs> awesome so yeah we've sold quite a bit of those those have been a hit oh, is so, that on is that on Bandcamp too or is that just on the website um you know it's on the website for sure i don't know if it's on Bandcamp. all right uh, i gotta i gotta look at that my we my family we, we play all kinds of board games so we i gotta check that out Yep, yep, and it's cool because it's kind of. I mean, you know, we're not Milton Bradley or the Parker, <laughs> but uh, you know, we kind of took the Monopoly kind of idea, and uh, you know, but instead of like Boardwalk and Park Place, it's all these old punk venues from the early days. Oh wow, Hundred Club, like the Whiskey a Go Go, like you know. So that's those are the you know. It's awesome. Yeah, instead of going jail, you go to the morgue. It's a, you know, a fun homage to our punk background, you know. So you got to have a punk monopoly, don't you? Uh, yes. I mean, they, they make it for so many other things at this point. you got to have one for punk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, this has been great, man. Thank you so much for joining me. I've had so much fun talking with you. Me too, man. Me too. I appreciate it. To be honest, after reading some of the works you published, I was a little intimidated. I'm like, how the hell am I going to talk to this guy about music when he's discussing the twister structure of bi-quaternionic projective point advances in applied Clifford algebras? I can't even get that out in one breath. Oh my gosh. But it, it it was wonderful. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Mark. My pleasure.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 